0: Good to see everyone in the house of the Lord this evening, Hope you're having a good week. And uh, Tonight we'll start in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Continue on what we were looking at last week in the difference or what is the kingdom and the church and the body of Christ. Of course, just to review a little bit, the kingdom, of course, refers to the realm or the rule of God. And we said that the kingdom of God is eternal, it does go through phases, it's going to become visible one day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to set up his kingdom on earth. It will become a visible kingdom, and he will rule and reign, of course, uh, over the nation of Israel, and who will look on him whom they have pierced, and uh, receive him uh, as as a people. Um, of course, that kingdom is going to be for a thousand years, uh, that visible kingdom. Um, so the kingdom of God, of course, it is entered by the new birth, When we get saved, we're translated into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians tells us. Um, but we're not born into a church. A church is his body. And we looked a little bit last week about, you know, a church is referred to as a visible, or local, visible, organized, and constituted. Those three things. And then there's, what we want to pick up tonight is looking at metaphors or pictures that demonstrate local, visible, organized, and constituted. That's what churches are. So let's begin at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse two, verses 1 and 2. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ for the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth. Notice that. The church of God was at Corinth. And if you look at most of the epistles, you'll, you'll see that they're all addressed to churches. Uh, they're addressed to churches. Even the epistles of John... Um, You know, they were addressed to house churches. But anyway, to the church of God at Corinth, uh, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And then go to chapter 12. So we set the context immediately. Paul sets the context. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Then you go to chapter 12 in verse 27. And... And if you notice in chapter 12, even like in verse 2, ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away under these dumb idols, even as ye were led. You know, so he's again talking to the church at Corinth, and in verse 27 he says, Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. In chapter 12, verses 12 through, through 27, he, he describes the church as a body, just like your body. Um, this is a picture, a metaphor of of a church. It has individual parts. Your body's made up of parts. Um, and it's all, in, but it's all in one place. And so as you think about these metaphors, uh, they all refer to something local, something visible, something that's organized. You know, Do any of you have a disorganized body? You know, your hand where your foot should be, your foot where your hands should be, or... You know, you ever you've seen these skits that they that they do at camps and things where you know you have two people and one's being the hands and and the feet and uh, and you know the other one's being the head and the body and you know you have to brush your teeth with you know you know I'm talking about um, that's that's a disorganized body um, but no the body is visible it's local visible and organized so let's look at this a little bit uh, and I want you also to go to Colossians chapter one verse eighteen. And again, when writing to the church at Colossae, Colossians 1.18, says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then all things he might have preeminence. And again, the firstborn has the idea of he's, he's, he's the preeminent one. Uh, you know, the firstborn son got a double portion of the inheritance. He was to be the priest of the family. It speaks of headship. And of course, Christ is the head of the body, which the church, he says. Uh, <clears throat> so, you know, again, this, it, the body speaks of something that's visible. Uh, and I think I mentioned this last week about the book I read by a guy that said, you know, the, the word body to describe the church is a misnomer because the body is that which makes life visible. Well, yeah, hello. Um, you know, is, so we can ask ourselves the question is your body visible? You know, you go to the doctor sometime and say, hey, doc, operate in my invisible body. <laughs> um, the church of Corinth was a visible body, a visible assembly. Uh, it's organized. You know, again, your body's not just thrown together. It is organized. Uh, very well organized. In fact, Ephesians 4.16 says, for whom the whole body fitly joined together, and here it's talking about a church, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. You know, if you have a part in your body that does not work right, it will start affecting other parts. And so, um, you know, again, the body is, is, uh, is organized, not just thrown together. Uh, your body is constituted. It's made up of certain parts. There's only certain things that are going to work in your body. Um, I remember my brother-in-law had, a, had the bone marrow transplant. He had to go on rejection medicine, and I think he's still on it, because it came from a different body. Because, and he did. He had a reaction for a while because They say you know your body will reject it because it 's not yours, and if you you know try to put you know if you you know one of the things they 've used for years for and I, and maybe they still do some of you could maybe tell me they still do is use mesh for hernia surgery, but sometimes that creates problems in bodies because it 's not really part of the body it 's a foreign material, so there's a possibility your body's going to react against it and and try to reject it. Uh, your know, modern medicine can't just put anything in your body and and, and it automatically be accepted. Um, no, it has to be something that pertains to the body. And and the same is true of the church. Um, it's made up of certain parts: saved, baptized believers. That's who can be in a church: saved, baptized believers. That's why the Baptists through the history rejected those that would come to them from the Catholic or Protestant churches because they weren't properly baptized. You know, maybe infant baptized or, or, or some of that effect. So they, they say, no, you've got to be scripturally baptized by a Bible-believing church. So those are the things that make up the body. Uh, he uses The Old Bible also uses a metaphor of a building, including Ephesians chapter 2. When describing a church, Ephesians chapter 2, this is brought out very clearly here in Ephesians. He compares the church to a building. Ephesians 2, verse 19. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And of course that chief cornerstone would refer to the temple. And the story is told that when they were building the temple, Solomon's temple, you know, they pre-cut everything. They didn't cut any stones on site. But they had one stone that was different than all the rest. And when they started laying things out, they couldn't figure out, we're missing a stone. And they, when they sent it, they looked, it was different, so they laid it aside at the quarry and didn't send it to the building site. You know, this is, this is how the Jewish history records this. They didn't send it to the building site because it was different. They didn't think it was right or would fit anywhere. But when they got to the building starts, started laying it out, they say, hey, uh, we need a stone that's different than all the rest. Because that's the first one. That's the starting point. And of course, Jesus Christ is that chief corner stone. And of course, there's a reference, really a reference here that you know, it's on him that the church was started. Then verse 21, in whom all the building fitly Framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are built together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So, again, building or houses or temples are in one location, unless they're hit by a tornado and then scattered everywhere, but then it's no longer a building. It's parts, it's not a building. Um, And again, there's no such thing as an invisible building, so buildings are visible. Uh, a building is an organization of materials according to a plan. Uh, you know, if you don't have plans for a building, I mean, you're going to run into problems. I know, I've done it a few times, you know, I had to rearrange some things. Uh, you know, it's better to have plans so you know where this goes and this goes and what's expected here. And again, a building is an organization of materials. There's different materials. You know, if, you, if you're going to build a house, you know, verse 21 here talks about being fitly framed together. You're going to build a house. You're going to take two by fours, two by sixes, two by eights, two by tens. Um, you, you may order rafters that are made of two by fours and two by sixes. Uh, and, and all these things have their place in that building, but they're all parts. They're all materials that, with which the building is built. Uh, and, you know, think about it. So builders are really very narrow-minded. They only want certain things for their buildings. I mean, if I took a boat of fence posts over to Nathan's job tomorrow and said, Hey, just use these in your building. He said, Dad, get them out of here. They don't work. They're not materials that we can use in this building. Now, they weren't certain things. You know, they ain't got to be peanut butter and jelly. can't build buildings with peanut butter and jelly. I mean, it just won't work. So you have to have the right building materials. And the building materials for a church is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was just the gospel of the kingdom. And by the way, the builders will even reject lumber that has too badly bowed. I've been to job sites where there's lumber left over, and the reason it's there is because it's crooked, it's bowed, or, or maybe it's too knotty where it's weakened. Um, you know, I learned something from Sheldon Hutchins one day. We were looking for ban the, the outside boards for a deck, I think it was, and this was a big deck, and we needed 2 x twelves. And we went into Lowe's. Him and I were doing this job together. We went into Lowe's. He began picking up those 2 x twelves, which are heavy, and looking at the ends. And I say, what are you doing? He said, well, if the grain, if it's cut out of the center log, the grain runs crossways almost straight on the log like this. He said, if it runs like this, if it's cut off the side of the log, and it runs like this, they're stronger. I said, really? He said, yeah. And I got to thinking about it, and I thought, you know, that makes sense. Um, And, and of course, you know, we always, I like to pick out my own lumber, because I want to see, is it straight? Especially with the band around the outside. I mean, uh, you know, I've seen decks that have humps in them, because the boards are bowed. So... uh, you know again, a building is, is, is it's a local thing, it's visible, it's organized, it's constituted, they only use certain materials for a building. Again, all descriptive or picture what a church is. The church is also referred to as a bride, second Corinthians chapter eleven. Second Corinthians chapter eleven <clears throat> verse one and two. By the way, if you have questions, my wife said I just paused for questions. The end didn't give you really time to think of questions last week. But if you do have questions, I'm glad to entertain them. Uh, just slip up your hand. But 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 11, verse 1 says, Would to God you could bear with me a little in my follow? Indeed, bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Uh, so he's espoused, a church he says, he says to the Church of corinth i've espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ and of course, we know the the the, uh, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ, particularly in the book of revelation it's only used a couple of times in the Bible of course it's referred to that in ephesians five uh twenty three and twenty four where a Marriage, you know, places the wife and subject to her husband even as Christ is to the church. Now, again when we think about this, a bride is local. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't want my bride to be universal. Um, one that's all over the world, you know, all at the same time. That that's impossible. And I, I don't want her to be visible. Well, I'll be there with you in spirit. No, that's that's not really a you know a bride. Uh And God, of course, you you think about marriage, God has organized an ordered marriage in the home. Marriage places the wife in subjection to her husband as Christ, as the church is to Christ. And Ephesians 5, 23 and 24 very clearly tell us that. Uh, So it's it's an organized thing. Um, It's also, a bride must be properly constituted. In other words, not everyone can be a bride. Sorry, Ryan, you can't be a bride. I don't care what the modernists and liberals are telling us today. Men can't be brides. But neither can you, Linda, because you're already married. You're already a bride to somebody else. So, you know, it must be unmarried, female, legal age, and must be willing. You know, we don't believe in forced marriages. Um... Uh, you know, again, we must be willing to join ourselves to the groom. And, and of course, a church has to be willing to join itself. You know, there are churches that are unwilling to follow the New Testament plan. They're unwilling to follow the doctrines of the New Testament. So really, in reality, they're unwilling to follow the bridegroom. That means they are not a bride of Christ. And when the Lord, in Revelation chapter 2, wrote to the seven churches of Asia, one of the things he, he uh, and I hate to use the word threatened, but he did, he told them very plainly, unless they repent, they would lose their candlestick. In other words, they would cease to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So all these things, these metaphors that the Bible uses here in the New Testament that picture the church refer to something that's local, something that's visible, something that's organized, and something that is constituted. There's qualifications that have to be met uh, for that. All right, then under number five, the universal church theory. And... uh, I don't have a scripture verse for this because I don't think there is one. But this is the idea. Somebody has described it this way. Quote, the church is all saved people from Pentecost to the first resurrection, of course, which is the rapture, united organically to one another and to Christ by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Unquote. And here's a typical church statement. Quote, we believe the scriptures teach that the Church of Jesus Christ was inaugurated at Pentecost must be considered in two aspects, the local and the church, which is his body. The local church is a congregation of baptized believers associated by a covenant of faith and fellowship of the gospel, rights and privileges invested them by his word, that its scriptural offices are pastors, sometimes called bishops or elders, and deacons whose qualifications, claims, and duties are defined in the epistles of Timothy and Titus. The, quote, church, which is his body, unquote, is the entire company of believers in Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, regardless of denominational affiliation, and present position in heaven or on earth, unquote. So what they're telling us here in this statement is that they believe there are two kinds of a church. Uh, There's some that are in heaven. And the Bible does talk about the church in heaven. Because there is an assembly of saints in heaven right now. Again, church means assembly. Uh, so this is a multi-church teaching. Uh, there's, there's a local church, and then there's a universal invisible church, which is the body of Christ. This is Protestant fundamentalist view. Uh, this is a Baptist church that I was formerly, formerly a member of, actually. Uh, and this is their statement concerning the church. Uh, but the universal invisible church, which is the body of Christ, because it's Protestant, and, it, and I say it reeks of Catholicism. Because the origins of the teaching come from the Catholic church. The Catholic view is one of the true, they say they are the true, one true visible church of Christ. And then I got this off the Catholic answers, What is the Kingdom? off the internet by Matt Frad. And he says this, quote, "Here we see that the kingdom of God is the is in the here and now present in and through the church, yet it is a mixed reality that will only be perfected, perfectly realized at the end of history. This current mixed state can be seen as the church on earth, which now grows in the field of the world with both weeds and wheat until the harvest when Christ says he will tell the reapers." Gather the tares, this is obviously he's using another version, gather the weeds first and bind them in the bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Of course, King James says gather the tares. Uh, so anyway, you know, what he's saying here is the kingdom of God is the church. That's what Catholics believe. That's what Protestants believe. That's why they unite with the state and try to force religion on you. I don't know if you understand this, but as far as the Catholic Church is concerned, we are all anathema. We are cursed. Because we will not submit to or come under the authority of the Roman Catholic Church. They have never rescinded that, that philosophy or that teaching. Uh, anybody that is, not, is outside the Catholic Church is condemned. But see, they believe that they are the kingdom of God on earth... And the true visible universal church. And so it is their responsibility then to persecute those who are the tares. But go to Matthew twenty three again, or Matthew thirteen. And and what did Jesus say about the wheat and the tares? <clears throat> Matthew twenty three And verse 24, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven, Now again, the kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God is the same thing, is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? He said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat into my barn. So what, what the Lord is saying here is the kingdom of God is is like a field that's got good seed and bad seed in it. In other words, there are people in the world tonight who, who are truly in the kingdom of God, and there are people who say they're in the kingdom of God who are not. They're tares. They're false. You know, Matthew 7 says, Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And, you know, and, and, and done many wonderful works, and cast out devils, and done many wonderful works. And then he'll say, I never knew you. Of course, he's saying here, you know, so we're to let them, we're not to decide, it's not for us to determine or to go out and deal with those who say they are not in the kingdom. Or, I'm sorry, those who say they are in the kingdom or are not. It's not for us to pass judgment or condemnation in this life or to persecute them and try and force them into our little kingdom. And that's what the Catholic Church has done. Anybody that wasn't part of the Catholic Church, they tried to coerce them or force them into the Catholic Church. If they refused or wouldn't bow to submission to the Pope, they were persecuted, as our Baptist forefathers were for centuries. And, of course, when the Protestants came along, guess what they did? They turned around and did the same thing. Martin Luther did the same thing. Zwingli, you know, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Many of the Protestants persecuted those who would not submit because what they did was they combined themselves with a state government and then tried to force. And, of course, that's the way our colonies were when they came to America. The Puritans in New England, the Congregationalists and the Anglicans tried to, you know, there was, there was penalties and taxes, fines levied if you didn't attend their church at least once a month. Even in Virginia, North Carolina, it was Presbyterian. And of course, the Battle of Alamance, that's what that was all about, because the regulators who were Baptists didn't want to pay a tobacco tax to support the Presbyterians' preachers. They um, didn't want to submit to the Presbyterian church. So, anyway, so that's, you know, this is universal church theory. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, a belief that has the kingdom of God. Notice it says the mixed state. They're mixing the kingdom and the church, trying to make them the same thing. They are not the same thing. A kingdom is invisible right now. The church is a visible body. The kingdom is entered by the new birth. The church is entered by baptism. Um, but here's another. Here's another. Uh, this I got off a church website that we fellowship with. It says, "quote A church is a local body of scripturally baptized believers who assemble together for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission." Unquote. So it's simply, you know, that's that's putting it very simply but very plainly. Uh, that that what a church is. It is a local body. And again, all the metaphors of the New Testament that talk about the church speak of it as visible, local, organized, and constituted. Whether it be a body, a bride. Uh, what was the other thing I had there? Building, all refers to something uh, local and visible, and so on. All right. Any questions? All right. So when was the church started? That's another good question. Well, I thought I'd start out this way. Okay. When was the Presbyterian religion founded? Sixteenth century. Does that does that um, raise a question as to why not till the 16th century in your mind? Um, of course, they're, they're rooted in the 16th century, John Calvin, and so on. Uh, Methodist church founded has roots in the 18th century. Its founder was the Church of England minister, John Wesley, who sought to challenge the religious assumptions of the day. By the way, who never left the Church of England. Uh, who started the Church of Christ denomination? The early history of this group is identical to that of the Disciples of Christ. They developed from various religious movements in the United States in the early 19th century, especially those led by Baron Stone in Kentucky and Thomas Campbell and Alexander Campbell in Pennsylvania. And that's why they were formerly called Campbellites, actually. Uh, Martin Luther founded Lutheranism uh, in the 1500s. Uh, the Church of God, which is Pentecostal, began August 19th in uh, 1886 near the North Carolina border, Monroe County, Tennessee. Henry VIII started the process of creating the Church of England after a split with the Pope. You know, all these churches were reactions to something else. By men. By men. Every one of these, when we call them denominations, they call them churches. Because they believe a church is universal, it's made up of everybody that's in... A Lutheran Church, so that's the Lutheran Church. Or you'll hear you'll hear sometimes on even on the news the Presbyterian Church USA. You know, they're referring to everybody that's in a Presbyterian Church in the United States. Uh, of course, a lot of Baptists are going that way, and they talk about the Southern Baptist Convention. But you know, the reality is, if you're a Baptist, if you're truly a Baptist, you reject all that stuff. Because Baptists never associated with a denomination. They were never a denomination. Even the Mennonites traced their origins particularly to, to the Anabaptist group near Zurich in 1525. Now, uh, Halley's Bible Handbook, which um, I'm trying to remember what it is for Henry Halley, Haley, I think it's the way it's pronounced. Uh, he is not a local church proponent, but even he says in page 676, seven, you know, okay, the Catholics claim their church goes all the way back to, of course, Jesus and Peter. But if you study the history, honestly, uh, that's a lie. And he says this, quote, the word pope means papa. I thought about that, and I thought, maybe I don't want you to call me papa. <laughs> or Father. Do you remember what Jesus said about calling someone on your earth Father? He, Jesus said Matthew 23, I think it's verse 9, call no man on the earth Father. Now, he wasn't talking about if somebody's your biological father. But what he was referring to is, don't call anybody spirit, a spiritual person over you Father. Because you have one Father which is in heaven. But, and that's what this, the word Pope means, Papa or Father. At first, it was applied to all Western bishops. You know, in, in that time, there were there were what considered churches in the East, which were toward Asia, and in the West, which were with European churches, Rome would have been the, the Western, Constantinople I think it was it was on the East. Uh, when the kingdom kind of divided there under Augustine or under uh, Con, uh, Constantine, anyway, uh, about A.D. 500. So here's really the start of your Catholic Church. By AD 500, it began to be restricted to the Bishop of Rome, and soon, in common use, came to mean universal bishop. The Roman Catholic list of popes includes the bishops of Rome from the first century onward. But, for 500 years, bishops of Rome were not popes. The idea that the Bishop of Rome should have authority over the whole church was a slow growth, bitterly contested at every step, and never has, at any time, been universally. Recognized, unquote. So even to this day, they've never been universally recognized by professing Christians. But they've been recognized by their own church. Um, but the fact remains that there were no one that was really, there was no popes prior to 500. There, was some, there were some efforts to try and because really, up in the first, at least the first 300 years, almost all churches were independent and local. There was no such thing as a universal church. Now, there were some that were starting to teach. There were some pastors who were exalting themselves and starting to teach and trying to exert authority over other churches in a region. But for the most part, it was rejected and it was renounced. But the, po- the bishops at Rome, bishop is a Bible word. It's been, been tainted. Uh, but bishop is by word, which simply means pastor. But these pastors at Rome became influential and powerful because of Constantine. And, of course, another guy who did a lot of writing, Augustine. He's the one that came up, up with the term mother of God, referring to Mary, and started the whole Mary worship thing. But, you know, really, Augustine wasn't until the late 300s, early 400s. So, so, again, this stuff doesn't all go all the way back to Jesus and Peter. That is a lie. It's a lie. They can't prove that. You see, our, our, the Roman Catholic Church, again, claims Peter as the first pope, despite the fact that it's been proven that Peter never went to Rome. He was at Babylon. Well, they say, well, that you know, and Peter says that in, in, in his epistle that he was at Babylon. The churches at Babylon salute Jews, so he was at Babylon. It's believed he, maybe he was even martyred there. Uh, and they say, well, that's a reference to Rome. I wouldn't want to admit that if I was them, because you know what the churches of Babylon are called in Revelation chapter 17-18. They're called the Great Whore. But you know, liberals don't connect things like that, do they? Uh unbelievers don't connect things like that. But anyway. And so there's no proof that Peter was ever at Rome, although they claim he was. And Peter warned against being lords over God's heritage. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 3. Peter warned about this very thing. In 1 Peter chapter 5, let's read verses 2 and 3. He says, Feed the flock of God. That's really the idea of shepherding or pastoring, which is among you, taking the oversight. So a pastor is to take the leadership not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So he wasn't to be a a lord or a tyrant over the people of God. And what has Rome been? They've been a tyrant. So, you know, all these churches have... Times when they were started, they all have one thing or other thing in common. They were started by a man or men. However, Jesus began or he started the first church. Look at Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. The former treatise have I made, O Theophysis Of course, the former treatise here would be Luke. Of all that Jesus, notice this, began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together, there's that word, Ecclesia. Ecclesia again. That's the word church. Assembled together with them, commanded them they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, he have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not by the Holy Ghost, but with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. So, you know, Jesus began... You know, he began or he started the first church. Now, and he says he taught them. He began to do it both to do and to teach. Now, Jesus, these are some things that Jesus taught and they did prior to Pentecost. And everybody that believes in a universal church says the church started on the day of Pentecost. But that is not true. Because here's a list of things and this is not exhaustive. There are a lot more. The things that they did as a church prior to Pentecost. Jesus said that he would build his church. And see, the universal church people say the church is built by the Holy Spirit. No, it's not. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. Matthew 16, 18. It's not being built by the Spirit. It's being empowered by the Spirit. The the, the disciples were empowered on the day of Pentecost by the Spirit. In other words, they were immersed or overtaken, you might say, or controlled from that point on by the Spirit of God. And so they were empowered. But Jesus said he would build his church, Matthew 16, 18. I would build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, he gave them teaching on binding and loosing members, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. And of course, this refers to church discipline. And again, if you go with a Pentecost start date, you really can't use any of the Gospels as church doctrine. And there's a mass of stuff in the, in the, in the Gospels that pertains to the church. That is church doctrine. For example, binding and loosing, or it has to do with church discipline, Matthew 16, 19... He says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. You know, he, he was speaking here to Peter, whom he appointed as the pastor when he left it. And I'll see, we'll see that in a minute. Uh, and, of course, he expands on this binding and loosing in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 19. And he tells them specifically how this is done. You know, more, or if more thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he will to hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. He will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more than the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word may be established. If he shall ne- neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven." So if there's, a, if there's a problem in a church, you're supposed to go to that one, and if they'll hear thee, or in other words, they'll change their, 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 their ways, then they are again brought into bright fellowship with the church. If they will not, you're to take two or three. And if they will not hear them, you bring it before the whole church. And if they won't listen to the church or change their mind, you're to vote them out. That's what binding and loosing is. You vote them out. You remove them from your membership. And in the, in the, in the, the idea here is they are bound, or in other words, they are confined without church membership. That's why when somebody comes here from another church, and they say, Oh, we'd like to join your church. Okay. They uh, call your pastor. Your former pastor. Usually, I don't wait that long. They start visiting, and they visit a couple Sundays. Unless they're coming from a church that isn't true church. And, you know, there are reasons, justifiable reasons, for leaving a church. But, you know, this universal church thing creates church hopping. I mean, we were in Pennsylvania with my wife's dad. There were people who hopped from his church, to another church, to another church, and, you know, and then up in another church, and you know what? Oftentimes, those churches did not check into. And if they left one church... You know, the, the, the sad thing is, a lot of times, churches don't vote them out. They don't discipline them. They just let them go. And really, you can't do anything about it then. But if a church is, do what the Scriptures say here, you bind them, you vote them out of the church, no other church ethically, has a right to take them in as members until they make things right at the first church. See, they would just hop from church to church and took their problems wherever they went. That's what they did. And then when they run into problems at that church, the same problem, they go to another church. Uh, No, this is is what the Lord gave teaching on binding and loosing members. Uh, He had taught them to do evangelistic work. Matthew chapter 10 tells us, that he sent them out by two and two. Verse five: These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, "Go into the way of the Gentiles, Go not in the way of the Gentiles in any, any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel." Of course, we know later they did go to the Gentiles, but he had he he gave them he he taught them to do evangelistic work, and he sent them out. Uh, they baptized. Now, here here's here's the real kicker. They baptized those that believed. Now, if baptism is the door of church entrance. If there was no church prior Pentecost, why were they baptizing? But John chapter 4 very clearly tells us that they were baptizing converts. So there were converts during the time that Jesus was on earth. John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says, when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. So Jesus didn't even baptize but he authorized his disciples to do it. Whom, by the way, most of them were baptized by John the Baptist. We'll see that a little later here too, but uh, so they baptized those who believe. they had a pastor, John chapter 10. <clears throat> Actually, the first church had two pastors prior to Pentecost. John chapter 10, verse 11. "I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep," verse 14. "I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, am and am known of mine." So again, he's speaking to his disciples. Uh, and he's not referring here just to the twelve. The twelve were really trained to be pastoral staff. But he's speaking to all his disciples. Uh, you know, So there were more than just twelve. We're going to see that too in a little bit. But he said, you know, so to, to the good shepherd, you know, again, shepherding is pastoring. And then in John chapter 21, he transfers this position to Peter in John 21, verse 15. So when then dying, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. By the way, that's the same words Peter used in 1 Peter chapter 5. Feeding the flock. Uh, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he had said unto him the third time, lavest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, that thou knowest that thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. And of course, if you go to Acts chapter 1, verse 15, it says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of names together were an hundred and twenty. So here here Peter stands up in the midst of his brethren and he begins a business meeting. Why is he standing up? Because Jesus had appointed him as the pastor of the church since he left, since he going back to heaven. So they had a pastor. First they had Jesus for three and a half years, and then it's Peter. And Peter continued on in that position until James later became a pastor at Jerusalem. Uh, They had a treasure. Believe it or not, they had a treasure During Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, John 13, 29 says. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag that Jesus had said unto him, buy those things that we have need of against the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So Judas was a treasurer. The first treasurer of the church. Uh, they also observed the Lord's Supper. Matthew 26 to twenty eight. You know, and again, uh, this this is before Pentecost, even before the crucifixion. Uh, they he, he instituted the Lord's Supper, and they observed the Lord's Supper. Uh, they, had, they had singing in the church. Matthew twenty six thirty. It says. Um. Uh, I'm twenty seven. That's twenty six thirty. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12. Hebrews 2, 12. You see, a lot of people say, well, that's not a church yet. Well, in Hebrews 2 and verse 12, it removes all doubt of whether that was a church or not. It says, and of course the context here is speaking about Jesus. Verse 9 says, but we see Jesus. Verse 12 says, saying, so Jesus is saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren... In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Now, when did Jesus sing in the church? Well, in Matthew chapter 26. He sang. Uh, they assembled together. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. And, of course, you know, this isn't the first time. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the bro- his brethren. So they were assembled together there. Uh, of course, waiting for the day of Pentecost when they'd be empowered. Uh, they had a membership role. Verse 15, Acts one fifteen. In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said the number of the names together were about 120. So there were 120 people in this church at this time. Uh, they had a business meeting. And I'm not going to read all this for sake of time, but verses 15 to the end of the chapter, that Peter stands up and says, you know, it talks about Judas who, who, who hung himself, and he says, we need to have a meeting and determine somebody to replace Judas. So they had a business meeting. You know, again, all this prior to Pentecost. All these things that churches do, true churches do, were done prior to Pentecost. You see, the point is, Jesus started the first church. And he started it with materials prepared by John the Baptist. You know, the disciples, Peter and Andrew, James and John, were baptized by John the Baptist. We'll see this next week. Uh, See, it all began. Now, John didn't start the church. He just prepared the materials. Jesus started the church. But it really began with John. And I'm going to leave you with two passages of Scripture. Luke 16, 16 and... In uh, Acts one twenty two, Luke 16.16 16 says this, The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man present. So, the law and the prophets were until John. Now, those that teach a Pentecost church beginning say John was the last prophet of the Old Testament. My question is, why is he then the new? And why does the Bible say the law and the prophets were until John? It's because John was not an Old Testament prophet. Look at Acts 1, verse 22. 21 and 22. It says, Wherefore, and Peter's saying, We need, it, we need to pick somebody to take Judas's place. He said, Wherefore, of these men which have company with us, all the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of who? John. John. John's baptism was authentic. Jesus did not rebaptize those John baptized that came to him. Because John, John's gospel was the same gospel we preach. He pointed to the Lamb of God, which would take away the sin of the world. That's what we do. We point to the Lamb of God. And we just point back. He was still pointing forward. He preached repentance, and do works meet for repentance. And so... You know, John baptized those of some of which Jesus built his church. But Jesus started the first church. It started in the Gospels with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, when was the church started? It was started with Christ. And as much as they hate to admit it, Protestants can't deny it. Uh, Zwingli, the Swiss reformer, contemporary of Lutheran Calvin, said this, the institution of the Anabaptists is no novelty. Anabaptists would refer to our kind of belief. But for 1,300 years, they have caused great trouble to the church. Um, even Even the Census Bureau of the United States Department of Commerce says... The Baptist bodies of today trace their origin as distinct communities to the Protestant Reformation. In other words, not part of the Protestants. It is claimed indeed that the churches of the apostolic age were in doctrine, policy, and ordinances the exact counterparts of Baptist churches today. Mosham, who was Lutheran, said before the lives of Luther and Calvin, there lay secreted in almost all the countries of Europe persons who adhered tenaciously to the principles of the modern Dutch Baptists and John Clark Ridpath who is a Methodist said I should not readily admit that there were Baptist churches as far back as AD 100 although without doubt there were Baptists then as all Christians were Baptists the uh, guy that used to have the Bible I'm trying to remember his name by the oh, you know who I'm talking about it had the Bible display yeah, Smith. Joel Smith was a Baptist historian of sorts. And I remember hearing him say one time he was on a tour in Israel, touring all the ancient churches in the land of Israel. And he said to his tour guide, is it not true that all these churches at one time had pools, baptismal pools in them that are now filled in? And the guide said, yes, it is true. Yes, it is true. See, because the original Christians, the first couple hundred years, were all Baptists. They all baptized by immersion. In fact, infant baptism didn't start till after Constantine. You see. And it and it was it was it used to be, and in that time, everybody believed that a church was a local, visible, organized, constituted body of Christ. Um, But, of course, they're trying to do away with that today. Um, But there are still churches like ours, and we're not the only ones. There's many like ours that still hold the New Testament doctrines concerning the church and the kingdom of Christ. Might we just be faithful? Any questions? pray heavenly for the instruction that gives us. And Father, we pray that you help us to realize the importance of the church and uh, help us understand it's the truth that we might uh, be better equipped to serve you and to be a light and testimony and realize the responsibility that we have and the privilege we have to serve you, uh, to give out the gospel. And. Um, that we might see others uh, saved and then um, baptized into New Testament churches. So, Lord, just help us. Give us boldness in our witness and testimony. Help us just be faithful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.